Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. We are thrilled to be back with you after a couple weeks off from the mailbag. Tim McMaster here along with Ken Rosenthal. Hope everyone's week's off to a great start. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Tim, and I am off the COVID IL where I spent the last, (laughs) I don't know, eight or nine days. And I want to start off today by addressing all the Phillies fans who have been sending me their good wishes after the column I wrote shortly before Joe Girardi was fired and the column was headlined, Firing Girardi won't solve all the Phillies' problems. Well, that one's not looking too good right now. As we sit here Sunday afternoon, the Phillies are finally losing, and they might win this game. They've won 400 in a row. And you might say, (laughs) well, Ken, what was going on in your head then? Now, I could say the onset of COVID was starting to take hold, and I wasn't thinking clearly. However, I'm not going to say that. I own the column. And if indeed... I need to write a mea culpa at some point. I will be happy to do that. Now, at this point, I'm impressed, no doubt about it. I'm a little surprised, obviously, by the way the Phillies have turned it around. A couple things to keep in mind here. One, they caught the Angels in the middle of a 14-game losing streak. They caught the Brewers in the middle of an eight-game losing streak. And that's not to take anything away from the Phillies. Hey, you have to beat the teams in front of you, and they did a really good job. And yes, There's no question the vibe on this team is different now. I'm not exactly sure what the difference from Girardi to Thompson meant exactly, but clearly, and I wrote this in the column, Girardi is a tense guy that can affect the team. Affected this much? I'm not so sure. And in fact, I'm a little taken aback here that the players suddenly ignited after the managerial change. Where were these guys when Girardi was managing the team? I know the schedule was really tough. And sure, they had injuries like everybody else. But at the same time, was it that suffocating? Was it that difficult to play for Joe Girardi? I kind of doubt it. Now, I still say, and most people who follow the Phillies will understand this as well, that this is a team with flaws, defensively, bullpen, etc. But if they hit, they're going to be just fine. And that's what we've seen really over the last week and a half or so. They finally have hit. Matt Gelb, the Phillies beat writer from The Athletic, pointed out to me that they had the worst on-base percentage from the leadoff spot up until the time Girardi was fired. Since then, they've been in about the top five or six. Schwarber's been on fire, among others. So, hey, good for the Phillies. Schedule remains fairly easy after that series concluded yesterday. Miami, which is playing better as well. Washington, a team the Phillies have not even played yet and Texas the next 10. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all evolves. And the Braves, too. We cannot ignore what they've done here. And 
their streak has come against four teams. Diamondbacks, Rockies, A's, and Pirates. Again, beat the teams in front of you. Take nothing away. Michael Harris has been a revelation. And it's going to be really interesting as we go forward here to see how the Mets withstand these two charges from the Phillies and from the Braves. Now, we also had another managerial firing while I was on the COVID IL. That would have been Joe Madden with the Angels. That one was a little surprising to me, mostly, Tim, because I was under the impression that Madden was Artie Moreno's guy, that Artie Moreno would stay loyal to him, and that was the way it was going to be. Now, Perry Manajian, the GM, inherited Madden. He was not the person who hired Madden. And he had some of the same frustrations with Madden that Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer had in Chicago. Joe can be perceived as a bit of a celebrity manager. He doesn't necessarily grind as hard as some of the younger managers do at this stage of his career. And clearly, when you're in the middle of a 14-game losing streak, if ever there's a time to make a managerial change, I guess it's then. And they played a little bit better. They got Anthony Rendon back, which is going to be big for them. They still should be a quality team. And I expect them to compete for a wild card now that Phil Nevin is at the helm. Which leads us, Tim, to the third member of the managerial merry-go-round, but the one that has not spun yet, Tony Larusa. And we all know what happened with Larusa the other day, the one-two count to trade Turner. I have never heard a strategical explanation like that. I could say I hope never to hear one again, but it was just an odd situation. <laughs> now, the White Sox, as we record this, had another injury on Sunday. Michael Kopech went down with an apparent ankle problem. If he's lost, that's not good. Part of their problem is injuries. Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, the bullpen, starting with Crochet in spring training, then Aaron Bummer now, as well as Joe Kelly, Lance Lynn coming back this week, even Vince Velasquez, who had given them some decent work. He got hurt as well. They play in a forgiving division. Their schedule, and we talked about this with the Phillies and Angels, is the easiest of the 30 clubs remaining. And different measures for strength of schedule. But the White Sox, no doubt, have one of the easiest schedules. And as a GM from another club pointed out to me, it's going to be really difficult for four clubs from the AL East to make the playoffs. They're going to all pound against each other, beat each other up, while the White Sox, as they chase the Twins, and for that matter, the Guardians, too, will be facing the Royals and Tigers quite a bit. It's a much more forgiving division. So they still stand a chance. They've got to get it together. Now, there. The owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, is indeed loyal to Tony La Russa. The greatest regret of Reinsdorf's career, as he has said many times, is firing La Russa in the 80s. And he brought him back. He clearly wants him to stay the manager. I don't know that everybody in the front office would agree with that, but that's where they are right now. I don't expect a change midseason. So there you have it. Again, I'm not giving you the mea culpa just yet, Phillies fans. I know you've been calling for it. You've been Issuing <laughs> tweets to old takes exposed. Fair enough. All is fair. Love and column writing. But let's see the rest of the season play out as well. I'll be more than happy to write that mea culpa with blood dripping from my hands if the Phillies make the playoffs. And the White Sox fans are, are going to make it tough on Jerry Reinsdorf. Chanting fire, Tony, clap, 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 clap on Saturday in the 10th inning of a game that they hadn't even lost yet. Just in the 10th inning. Um, it, it's getting rough on the south side. But we'll see. As you said, the schedule 
isn't the toughest thing in the world. We'll see if the White Sox can can turn things around. And with that, with the managerial carousel, we move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. Okay, if you want to get involved in the mailbag in the future, you can call us, the number 646-543-7072. You can also send in your question via email. The way to do that is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And all this managerial talk, Ken, and the first question is about that, specifically about the Joe Madden hire, not the firing. Hey, my name is Harry Philbrick, and my question for you, Ken is I was thinking about the reaction to Joe Madden's comments about analytics being too dominant in the sport. Do you think it was Joe's ability to look beyond analytics that, that prompted him to allow Shohei Otani to both hit and pitch? I think we tend to forget what an unorthodox decision that was to make. Many thanks. Harry, that was not his decision alone. Joe Madden made that decision in accordance with the front office led by Perry Menagian, and if anything, it was more front office driven and, of course, driven by Otani, who signed with the Angels under the premise that he was going to pitch and hit, do both. Now, unleashing him the way the Angels did last season, yes, that was something that was decided as a group. But I don't know that it had anything to do with analytics. And I'm not sure Madden's comments to me about that really related to the Angels. He was more talking about the game itself, the way the game has evolved. And in his mind, how some of the fun and the instincts have been removed from it. He's not the first one to voice these complaints. Others have said the same. And one of the most pointed things he said in those remarks was that he thinks this is why people have turned away from the sport. There is some merit to that. Now, analytics have also drawn people into the sport. And some of the cool StatCast stuff and some of the way we look at the ways we look at the players now and evaluate, it's much more interesting than it was before. We have concrete, objective data where before we had only our eyes. At the same time, there's an art as well as the science. That is what, in my view, and there is widespread disagreement on this, sometimes gets lost. That the beauty of the game and the decision-making and the evaluation isn't just based on data, or at least shouldn't be. And the decision-making, the same thing. And I think Madden was talking about that as well. So the Shohei decision, no, that does not reflect that frustration he had mentioned, but there's no question. He brought that up. I did not ask about that. He brought up the analytics issue, and it's something that frustrated him, and it frustrates a lot of people in the game, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I love about this show, Ken, and getting questions from the listeners is some of the unique ideas that listeners come up with and send in. And this one classifies as one of those. This one from Max. He says, hey, Ken and Tim, love the show. I want to ask a question about contracts. On another podcast that I listened to, the hosts were discussing Jose Ramirez's contract and how it seems he took a discount to stay in Cleveland and that the factors some players take into consideration when signing is more than just the straight dollars. Well, here's some food for thought. What if a player negotiated a contract that allocated 
a certain amount of dollars in their overall contract that would be designated for the team to sign other players that offseason. And if they don't spend those funds to get other players involved, then the original player gets that money as a bonus at the end of the season. For example, Jose Ramirez signed a seven-year, $141 million contract, which was considered under his market value. What if he instead signed a seven-year, $211 million contract with $70 million designated to spend on free agents during that time, $10 million per year, and if they, the Guardians, don't use that money to sign other free agents, Ramirez gets the $10 million as a bonus at the end of each season. This could be a way to incentivize teams to play more players and field competitive teams and incentivize the players who are prioritizing winning over highest contract but still doesn't limit their contractual value if the team has different ideas would love your thoughts max i actually asked about this and contacted the union to see if that's something that they would allow or endorse or anything along those lines and was told unequivocally no and basically (laughs) the union would never agree to that type of concept because any special covenant as it's called special clause under the cba it has to benefit the player in a player's contract. And you can argue, well, if it seems better, it benefits the player, but not on an individual basis. So the fear the union would have about something like this would that it would create a cap-like dynamic where the players are always being asked to take less to help the team sign someone else. Someone else. And it's just not going to happen. So I understand and appreciate where you're coming from. And in the abstract, it's actually a good idea, right? Let's just redistribute the money. And we've seen players in cap sports do that right you'll see a quarterback once in a while take less and they'll sign somebody else am i right tim that happens yeah that in fact that's the best example of this i think is quarterbacks in the nfl like tom brady for years with the patriots i mean he's also married to giselle who makes more money than him (laughs) so money not really an issue there so he took discounts so that they could sign other people Um, but yeah definitely with quarterbacks so okay and that's the example that i guess you would want to apply to baseball, but again, there's no cap in baseball and the union remains vehemently opposed to anything that even hints at a salary cap. So while the idea has some merit and certainly is applied in other sports, and I thank Tim for chiming in there because I don't really follow other sports in great detail. I just don't see it happening in baseball. Yeah, great idea, though. Keep the unique ideas coming, absolutely. Even if you don't think it's viable, we love to talk about the possibility. So really good stuff. All right, next question is from a regular here on the show, Frank in Cleveland. Hey, Ken. Frank from Cleveland here. My question, a new one for you, has to do with the Matt Carpenter signing for the Yankees and with Josh Donaldson now going on the I.L., uh, I've heard some rumors, don't know if there's any credibility to them, about the Yankees potentially looking to deal Josh Donaldson, um, especially with the possible lingering effects that could be occurring in the locker room after his uh, really inexcusable actions with Tim Anderson. Do you see any truth to those rumors? Thank you very much. Frank, thanks. And since your voicemail... Of course, Donaldson has been activated. Granted, we took a week off last week, so we've got some older questions. But this is a fair point that you raise here. And when you consider Donaldson and his meaning to the Yankees, I would suggest looking at the defense first. And let's remove the personality from the equation for a second. That might flare up again, and it might cause the Yankees to have 
a different approach with him. I don't know. But I don't expect that to happen in terms of the Yankees just chopping him and cutting him loose. And I'll tell you why. Because what Donaldson has given them, in addition to above-average offense, is really solid defense. And as of Sunday morning, okay, Josh Donaldson was tied for third in defensive runs saved at third base behind only Brian Hayes and Nolan Arenado. It's a pretty good company. He was also tied for eighth in outs above average. That's the other leading defensive metric. Gio Urshela, who from the eye test always looked like a really good third baseman, was rating very poorly last season, a little bit better this year. Donaldson is a clear upgrade. And the Yankees as a whole, if you remember that trade, the point of it was to improve the defense at third base, at shortstop with Kainer Falafa. They also got a catcher in the deal that was yet to appeal. He started off the year hurt, Roerfeldt. So from that perspective, along with Purging, Urshela, and Gary Sanchez, their plan has worked. They're second as of early Sunday morning in defensive runs saved only to the Guardians. And while outs above average, they don't rate as highly, anyone watching that team knows they're better defensively. And Judge and center field has been fine defensively. So they're not going to move Donaldson. Actually, Donaldson – and that trade has accomplished exactly what they wanted. And I questioned it at the time. I just did not know bringing in a 36-year-old with a history of hamstring and calf problems was going to be the best solution for this team that could have signed Correa. But my goodness, it's hard to question anything that the Yankees are doing or have done right now. So that mea culpa column that could be coming with the Phillies may have a number of chapters. But again, we wait for the end of the season. Yeah, with the, the cushion they've built up, they could pretty much sustain any injuries to Donaldson as long as he's back for October at this point. They're certainly in a They need him not spot, to get right? any more fist fights or any more verbal confrontations. <laughs> they need him to just yeah, calm let's, down. And that's hard for Just him. play baseball. That's not who he is, yep. for better or worse. But, yeah, just play baseball would be helpful. Yeah. All right, next question is, with the recent boom in spending on the analytics, player development, and technology front, can you see this as the next frontier in owners wanting to cap spending in the next CBA? Examples include putting a luxury tax on total team personnel versus just players or possibly putting regulations on the equipment allowed to be used by the teams. Wow, this is what I had not thought about. The next level negativity here, by the way, as far as the, the owners go. And I don't know that they would go there because in this case, you're dealing with team employees as opposed to unionized players, right? Now, they're team employees too, but they're also members of a union and a union that makes, by average salary, a lot more than the average analyst, for instance. Well, at least that's how I think it's going with baseball teams. So while, yes, teams have loaded up in the front office in recent years and payrolls have grown in that respect beyond player payrolls, I don't know that the owners are going to say to each other, eh, we don't want it to be spending anymore on research and development. We just figure we'll cap it right now. I, I don't see it happening. It's different than the antagonistic relationship that exists with the union and the perpetual quest of the owners to hold down players' salaries, which, of course, again, are worth a lot more than front office salaries in almost every case. So I don't see it happening, but... I won't rule it out. You never know in this sport when teams and owners will try to save money or how they will try to save money. It just doesn't seem like that's their principal target. 
It would really be something considering that analytics, player development, and technology are basically the one area where small markets can kind of overspend to try to compete. So if you took that away, they can't. Uh, Tim, but you know get... what? I remember talking to Billy Bean a few years ago. I think it was for an article on the anniversary of Moneyball. I don't even remember if I was at the Athletic then. And he basically explained to me that while they've got their analytics department, maybe it consisted then of, I don't know, six members. The Yankees had 30. So this <laughs> right. division does exist. And yes, certain teams, certain low revenue teams spend more than others on it. No question. But at the same time, the, Dan- the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mets now, all of these larger revenue clubs have the ability to spend more. There's no doubt about that. All right. We're going back to voicemail for the next one. Hey, Ken, this is Reggie in Texas. Uh, listening to the current crossover podcast that you did with Jason Stark and Doug. I want to offer a proposal on the topic of the replay with uh, the base running plays. To me, baseball could simply put in a rule that says the replay on base running plays is simply limited to did the runner beat the tag to the bag, and everything else is off limits. You know, there, there are things in football and basketball that are very clearly defined in terms of what is and what is not reviewable. And I think baseball could very simply just put a rule in that says, on base running plays, all that is reviewable is did the runner beat the tag to the bag or not? Reggie, I like the idea in its essence. I don't know that it could work exactly the way you described it. My concern would be situations where the runner just goes haywire past the bag and should be tagged out. And in this particular thing that you've come up with, that wouldn't be possible. Now, maybe there is a way to make that kind of thing work. But what you're saying is much more in accordance with the spirit of the rule than what we see now. And that's my biggest complaint with this use of replay. And listen, we all knew that when replay came into the sport, there were going to be circumstances, unintended consequences, with certain plays that weren't necessarily desirable from a fan standpoint or even a team or player standpoint. This is one of them. We know that. Nobody likes it. But I don't know that it can be properly enforced when you do have the possibility under these circumstances that you're describing of a player just going willy-nilly past the bag. Tim, I'm wondering what you think on this one. I think the problem is that the rule isn't going to change, right? So if the umpire is allowed to call the runner out for going off the bag after getting there, then I think you have to be able to replay that. As a, you know yeah, what I mean? Point. Like you'd almost have to change the rule and say, well, if the player gets there first, it's over. And the umpire can't make that ruling either if you're not going to allow it to be changed by replay. No, I totally agree with that. Again, good idea. I'm just not sure the execution of it is that easy to accomplish. Well, and speaking of replay, Ken, we love these questions about replay. Here's another one kind of related. Uh, it's from Ryan. He says, after hearing other listeners' questions regarding replay review and how it could be improved, I thought the following proposal might be a good solution. Replay review should be initiated by the players on the field rather than the manager. On the current system, 
Teams have an opportunity to rewatch the play before deciding to challenge the call on the field. If only the fielders, runner, or batter were allowed to initiate a challenge, I believe fewer calls would be challenged since players will have to go off of what they experienced in real time, not what a slow motion replay shows. This would cut down on nitpicky reviews while still catching the obvious wrong calls and helps the umpire save face all the while speeding up the game. I'm curious what's your thoughts. I will say, Ken, on this, that it would definitely not cut down on the number of reviews, but it may change the way that they're handled. Because every, every base runner thinks they're I, safe. That's exactly right? right. I mean, if you watch the games, my goodness, you always see the runner signal to the dugout, replay, let's go, let's go. And most of the time, they're not correct. So I actually believe replay is now after a few years of ups and downs, working the way it was intended to work and working expediently. We're not having, in the, for the most part, excessive delays. I don't have the stats in front of me, but baseball puts out stats on replay every year, really at the end of the season, mostly. And it shows that the time of replay reduces virtually every year. So the system has gotten better. The people running it have gotten quicker in their evaluations and assessments enough with toying with the replay system. And it's so funny to me, Tim, every week I've said this before, when we talk about rules changes in articles, when Jason writes about them, when I write about them, anybody else on our staff writes about them, fans go nuts, leave the game alone. And yet on our podcast, all we (laughs) hear are suggestions for rule changes. I'm, I'm confused. Different, uh, different sex of the fan base, I guess. Uh, <laughs> different audience. Right. Do different things. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. All right, next question is from uh, Caleb Thomas out of Scotland. Thanks for uh, joining the show, and thanks for uh, you know sending it over from the other side of the pond, Caleb. The Braves made what was, to me at least, a shocking move Saturday by calling up, and this was a week ago Saturday, by calling up top prospect Michael Harris straight from AA Mississippi. It certainly has worked out, Ken. But his question is, how do you feel about prospects skipping AAA entirely? It feels like something that has become a lot more common, and in some cases, it's definitely been extremely detrimental to development for some players to get called up at such a young age. It's been different with position players sometimes, thinking Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr., but especially with young pitchers like Kyle Wright debuting at 21 or 22, only to pitch a few innings, it wasn't useful. Caleb, this trend started before the pandemic. 
And back then, it actually seemed to make more sense because AAA was seen as more of a veteran league and AA is where the top young talent was. And that jump for a few players, like the ones you mentioned, Soto Acuna, that level of elite talent, it made some sense. And it often worked out just fine. Since the pandemic and the cancellation of the 2020 minor league season, the whole issue with player development has become much more problematic. And that season cost prospects and teams incredibly important time in their development. And really, we haven't made up for it yet. And there was an interesting article by Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic, one of the better baseball writers in the country the other day, talking about the jump from AAA being more difficult than ever. And basically, the people Nick talked to explained that losing the 2020 minor league season was part of that. And also, today, the advanced scouting is incredibly good. A player might come up from the minors, and within a week, he's figured out, maybe even sooner. The pitching for players coming up who are offensive prospects, well, it's more challenging than it's ever been for hitters. It's better than it's ever been. Guys throw harder. They throw with more command. They hit their spots. It's not like the minor leagues. So whether it's from double-A or triple-A, it has become more difficult in these last couple of years since the pandemic and since the cancellation of the 2020 minor league season. And I don't know that it's going to get any easier anytime soon. We're going to kind of need a new cycle where guys have their normal development, a new set of their prospects. Players, for instance, drafted this year will not be affected by that canceled season. So in general, we're talking about the highest level of baseball there is, Major League Baseball. And to jump from AA or AAA is exceedingly difficult and made more difficult by the improvements in technology, the improvements in pitching, and, of course, what I just described, the lost year that most minor leaguers went through. One more question, Ken. This one comes from Mike. He says, uh, furthering to last week's discussion, again, two weeks ago's discussion about scorecards, I used to keep score, but not always, but I like to be able to look at a scorecard during the game to see what happened in the earlier innings. Why don't the teams or MLB send the announcers electronic scorecards in a feed to the MLB app or website? That way I can watch along with Boog or Sterling or any of the announcers that score electronically. It's a good halfway point to keep a tradition going with fans, but adapting to modern technology. I think the teams and MLB are missing out on a big opportunity. It's an interesting idea. Now, I don't know, even though Doug Glanville mentioned that Boog Shami keeps it electronically, I don't know that he does it for every game. I'm sure he does, because why would you not? But the other day, I don't know, I was poking around the internet, and I saw one of Boog's scorecards for sale, recent scorecards for sale, and that was clearly done by hand. So I'm not sure it's, I don't know exactly how he does it. Now, if we have, let's just play out the argument. If we have a broadcaster who puts all 162 games into an app, I guess you could make that available to fans. Some broadcasters might not want their notes out there, I guess. I don't know. Most of the notes that they're keeping on these scorecards are just informational, statistical type things. I guess it's an idea. At the same time, I would encourage people to keep your own scorecard. My goodness. You need everything handed to you? I mean, that was my first reaction to that email. And then I 
gave it a little bit more thought and thought, okay, I, I can see where the person's coming from. And it might encourage certain people to enjoy the game differently. And that's something the game should always, the sport should always be looking to do. I got to try one of these apps though, Ken. I, I've always done it on paper, um, in a notebook, whatever. And, and the apps sound cool and, and they do look good if, if you, well, mine wouldn't look good because I read chicken scratch, but if you, if you have a, a good penmanship, they do look pretty cool and you can upload them and all that. So I'm definitely going to look into it. Um, but, but good thinking, Mike, a cool little idea. We'll see, uh, if, if MLB advanced media can, can figure out that technology at some point, that's going to do it for the show this week. If you want to get involved down the road, you can email us ta baseball show at gmail.com or use the phone call phone number 646-543-7072 great week coming up on the athletic baseball show on tuesday this has been all season in the making uh jason stark doug glanville and me have been trying to get this lined up all season finally buck showalter is going to join the show uh, to talk about the mets yeah that's going to be a lot of fun uh the roundtable show we've mentioned it Mark Carrig, now a permanent part of that team with Grant Brisby and Andy McCullough. That show's a blast. And then the 3-0 show on Thursday with Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, and Britt Giroli. Finally, Keith Law and DVR back on Friday. You can subscribe to The Athletic, one of our best deals still going right now. $1 a month for six months. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Uh, Ken, glad you're feeling better. Hope your health continues to improve and you get back to doing games soon. Uh, yes, that's going to happen, I hope, this week. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I should be back Wednesday on FS1 Mets Brewers broadcast, and then Saturday for Yankees Red Sox. It's funny, Tim, I took great pride in always posting, right? I think I had missed two games, right. two broadcasts in like 16 years at Fox, and then I just missed two in a row. So there you go, COVID. Thank you. Yeah, because you know, with COVID, you're you're not posting for everyone else as much as yourself. So Both. understandable, yes. and uh, we'll be we'll be glad to see you back uh, down on the field in the dugout soon. Thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. We'll talk to you again next month.